0: It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate, torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac Wine This is Lilac Wine, the podcast. Each episode features a chapter from the novel, a rough draft if you will, read by the author, Bruce Janu. New chapters will be written throughout the life of this podcast, until the novel is complete. Join the discussion and make suggestions at lilacwinenovel.com. Stay tuned after the reading for further information about the chapter you just heard. And now, Lilac Wine. prologue Abilia loved flowers and plants more than anything her whole house smelled like the crisp eglantine air of a flora shop large potted plants adorned her porch turned her living room into a jungle and her kitchen into a greenhouse when her tropical flowers bloomed it added a touch of summer to her bathroom for she so enjoyed the smell of hibiscus while bathing She would close her eyes, and the steamy flow from the bucket filling the tub became the cool and clear torrent from a waterfall and a Pacific paradise that she had read about in her books. Sometimes she would even hear the enchanting prattle of birds chasing each other through the tall trees. She enjoyed losing herself among the green. Flowers and plants of every type and color bloomed in the yard surrounding her house, Like a framed Monet hanging on a gray and dirty wall, Abelia's home stood out among the rest in Lily Springs. During the summer, she could be seen walking gracefully through her wildflowers while a cloud of yellow butterflies fluttered playfully about her head. She was at home in her garden. There she felt safe and self-assured, "'everything she touched seemed to bloom and come alive, "'for there were never any dead foliage among her plants, "'never any broken branches or bitter weeds. "'Never did a flower wilt in her presence. "'Everyone in Lily Springs knew Abelia, "'although no one looked upon her as a true friend. "'She was an enigma to the small Midwestern town. "'No one knew exactly from where she came.' No one knew her past, and no one knew from where she acquired her money. It was quite clear to the townspeople that Abilia just wanted to be left alone. People stopped inviting her to social gatherings, not because they didn't want her there, but because she never accepted the invitations. She always responded to RSVPs with a simple and polite, sorry, people thought she was eccentric. Others thought she was simply withdrawn. Some people are just loners, Ellie, the clerk at the downtown pharmacy once said, and Abilia is one of those people. Abilia was the loneliest person in Lily Springs, and she had been alone most of her life. She no longer had any important or close relatives. She never had any callers and was never seen walking along the pond in the moonlight, as so many couples did in Lily Springs. The only person she ever kissed was Jonathan Perkins. That was close to thirty years earlier when the twelve year old classmate planted a kiss on her lips after school. Abelia looked fondly upon that event, even though she knew it was the result of a boyish dare. Abelia regretfully accepted her situation, as did most of the people in Lily Springs. Sometimes she would glance into the window of the pharmacy as she passed with her groceries and people could recognize the longing in her eyes as they fell upon a couple sharing a malt at one of the small checkered tables. Feeling ashamed, she would quickly lower her gaze to the cracked sidewalk, as if caught invading a private moment. Hoping no one saw her, she would hurriedly shuffle down the street, pressing the brown bag to her breast. But people knew exactly what she was looking at. Only once in the last 20 years since moving to Lily Springs did Abelia feel wanted. Due to her talent with flowers, many years ago she was asked to help beautify the land around the town hall for the 50th anniversary celebration of the founding of Lily Springs. Reluctant at first... She soon found herself absorbed in the project. She spent all winter designing and planning. She ordered perennials and annuals from all across the country. Extensive notes on each of the flowers were kept, and she sketched drawings and carefully arranged the botanical combinations. She preferred to work alone, and on days during the spring, a crowd sometimes gathered around the town hall and watched Abelia kneeling in the dirt, as she gracefully arranged flowers and planted seeds. The town constable, Tom Brooks, remarked that it was like watching an artist paint a picture. Abelia was very meticulous, rarely paying any attention at all to her audience, for she was so consumed in her work. Occasionally, she would sit up, dab the perspiration on her forehead with a handkerchief, and brush back the brown tussles of hair that had become dislodged from the bun tied up behind her head. Nervously, she would smile at those present, then turn back towards the earth, forgetting those gazing eyes for the moment. Her dirty fingers delicately kneaded the earth as if it were dough, carefully pressing seeds to their proper depth. By the July 4th celebration, the town hall was beautiful. Aromatic plants, roses, and wildflowers of every type speckled the landscape, producing a stunning combination of colors, but it was the fragrance carried by the tepid breeze of summer that brought people to the town hall. Jasmine, balsam, allspice, honey, lavender all harmonized together to produce a stunning olfactory sensation. Abelia stood back, proud of her creation, and watched the procession of people. She so enjoyed watching them come by. The townspeople lined up and inhaled deeply the perfume of the plants. It was a sweet aroma that tingled the nose and warmed the lungs. Amidst the mystical fragrance, couples closed their eyes and gently squeezed each other's hands. Babies ceased their crying, and children stop the summer for just a few moments to be absorbed in the magic. It smells like a candy store, little Angie Smith proclaimed with a smile. Her Aunt Sophia merely mumbled an agreement, lost in a reminiscence. In her mind, she could actually smell the pleasant scent of the bouquet she held tightly in her hands, as she walked down the aisle to recite her wedding vows to Charles. Her husband had died in the war with Spain, but the aroma of Abelia's contribution to the town was so powerful, she felt as if she were there in that church 22 years earlier, and all of the sadness was gone. Others beheld similar memories and relived similar moments. Art Bishop, the postmaster, thought of picnics. His family took on human August evenings along Lake Michigan during his childhood. Tammy Olsen thought of her baby's christening. Janine Cook remembered picking daisies with her grandmother. Anthony, the town's world traveler, thought of a cool May night strolling along the banks of the Seine in Paris. For a few moments, those who came to the town hall that summer felt the pleasant tug of Memories. Abilia knew what she had done, for it showed in the expressions of those who had breathed the air. She felt good as she slowly sauntered home that night. She hummed to herself and swung her handbag and stepped with her legs. The night air ruffled the hair that peeped from under the large, brimmed hat she wore. And like the flowers she so loved, her own countenance blossomed— in a pleasant blush. The town would not soon forget the magic that Abelia had created. Over the next few weeks, Abelia was flooded with cards and notes of thanks. Lily Springs never smelled so beautiful, wrote Allie. Thank you, Abby, Sophia scrawled on rose-scented stationery. You have given me some pleasant thoughts. The mayor even sent her a certificate that read Official Lily Springs Gardener. Abelia Brody. She placed that certificate on the wall above the fireplace and quietly bundled the cards and letters, tied a red ribbon round them, and placed the stack neatly on the shelf in her closet. Every July the 4th, while the town gathered to celebrate, she dusted off that stack and with a nice pitcher of lemonade sat on the porch and read each compliment, each note of thanks. It was one of her favorite days of the year. That was 13 years ago. People eventually overlooked contributions and Abelia went on living her mysterious life in Lily Springs. Occasionally, someone would ask her about her flowers, but not many people talked to her. They just didn't know what to say. So it was easier if nothing were said at all. Abelia went on with her life, with her garden. She spent hours trimming rose bushes, watering seedlings, having picnics among the daffodils and the butterflies. She always marked the beginning of summer with a large picnic. It was no different that summer, the long, hot summer of 1917. But things would be different it was the summer Robert Bishop came to town. So that was the prologue to my novel, Lilac Wine. I wanted to get it out earlier, but I've been battling bronchitis. So I'm on steroids, I'm on antibiotics, and uh, I just thought today was good. I just really wanted to get it out. My voice isn't quite back to normal, but uh, I think that is okay. I wrote that... Uh, Shortly after I first got the idea for the novel, and I wrote it about 25 years ago, and uh, that's half of my life ago, which is very odd. I I turned 50 this year, and so I've lived half of my life since I originally wrote that. And when I uh, wrote the novel, or started writing the novel, I should say, it had a different working title. It was called Lily Springs. And as I got more into the characters, and Abelia's character in particular, and she was originally called Annette, her name was originally Annette, and I wrote about 10 chapters or so with her name, Annette, and then uh, life got in the way, and uh, when I revisited the novel and was really getting into her gardening and her backstory... Um, I just needed another name, and I chose Abelia, and uh, that backstory will be in an upcoming episode. So uh, this chapter really hasn't been touched for a long time, and reading it, I was kind of cringing <laughs> at some of the stuff that I wrote 25 years ago. I think some of the comparisons some of the similes that I used, um, yeah, are kind of cliche, like uh framed Monet hanging on a gray and dirty wall or whatever I said. I thought that was a little bit much, but I kept it in um, because I want this to be an authentic experience here. Um, I am uh, releasing chapter by chapter this very rough draft of a novel that I started 25 years ago, and uh, I haven't really written that much since... Uh, must have been 2011 2012 i have 250 pages around written and my my goal is for this to really kind of kickstart the creative process uh, get recommendations from you listen to some constructive criticism i i have a i have a pretty thick skin um, Pretty thick, but not you know, we'll see how I do. Let's just, uh, let's just say, uh, let's just say that uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed writing this, and I want this to become like a springboard for me to actually finish this story that is swimming around in my head. I know everything about. These characters. Abelia, as you heard in that introduction, she's um, she's near forty. And out of all my characters, actually, I don't know her birth date. I know around the time, and I didn't want to pinpoint it because she, she's rather mysterious, as you're gonna find out in later chapters, and I wanted to kind of not know that about her. Robert, on the other hand, he's, he's, I know every, I know his birth date. I know really everything about Robert, and you'll be meeting him in a couple of weeks. Um, and some of these characters, uh, it's mainly, it, they're the two biggest characters. And um, the other characters are kind of side characters. And there's one in particular that grew from a side character. His name is Billy. And uh, Billy. Uh, has become one of my favorite characters because his arc took uh, a completely different turn on accident uh, as I was writing. So I write at the keyboard. You know when I sit, I kind of write uh, stream of consciousness. I don't I don't have notes, although I do have outlines someplace. And I'll have to stop and do some uh, research when I come across things that I don't know because I've really tried to set. This story in real historical times, and so uh, I had to I had to learn as much as I could about things like you know starting a car in 1917. Just how is that done? So I'd stop and I'd read about that, watch YouTube videos on people starting you know you know cars. Um, newspaper archives have been. You know, uh, so important to trying to get this story right. Now, that's just a rough draft, so it will be in the end completely reworked, and that's the whole purpose of this—to get out a, a rough draft, hear the critiques, hear the criticisms, and try and improve my writing, improve my story. So every week you'll be hearing a new chapter from Lilac Wine. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, you know, go to my website at lilacwinenovel.com. I have a discussion board up. You can make suggestions there. You can ask me questions that I will answer on the podcast as we go. And when we get to the point where I have uh, exhausted all my chapters, my goal then is to write as we go. Uh, I don't know how that's going to be, but we will see. So go to lilacwinenovel.com and let me know what you think about this episode. Tell your friends, you know, um, hang on, you know, listen for a bit. And, uh, you know, I hope you... I hope you uh, enjoy it as much as I enjoy reading it. On January 1st, New Year's Day, Chapter 1 will drop, and that's a chapter where you get to uh, hear about many of the eccentric people living in Lily Springs. And you may be wondering where Lily Springs is. Well, I can tell you. It's across the Mississippi River from Wisconsin, just a little bit north of Dubuque, Iowa. It's not an actual place, but I uh, I have been to uh, several places when I was doing research in that area, and it is probably near Buena Vista, uh, Iowa, but uh, not quite that far north, and it's a beautiful area there, hilly, overlooking the Mississippi River, and so there's a lot of that culture in the novel too that you will be getting a little bit later so thanks for listening I am Bruce Janu and I will be back next week this podcast is produced by Bell Book and Camera Productions Visit bellbookcamera.com for more information. Lilac Wine is written and produced by me, Bruce Janu. All content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission. The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. We work together on another podcast at the school where we both work. That podcast is We Are E.G. and tells the stories of students and staff at our suburban school. More information about that podcast can be found at wereg.org. Please visit lilacwinenovel.com to join the discussion, ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. All music in this episode was licensed through audioblocks.com.